It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. You could also be listening on the iHeartRadio app, and if you are, you know, you just uh, type in the coordinates, the 106.5 for Toronto or 95.7 for Ottawa, and you can take us with you anywhere you go. We'd also like to welcome those listeners on other radio stations that are now carrying Moment of Truth. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Or if you're listening on your favorite podcast or on our SoundCloud, great. Welcome. It's great to have you here on the show. It is also a great pleasure to welcome back to the show someone we've had on a number of times, but uh, she's back. And it is Marion Crow. She is the Chief Executive Officer at the First Nations Health Managers Association, and Marion is here to give us yet another update, and it's a pleasure to welcome her back. And I guess um, in some ways, Marion, from reading some of the information I saw about the town halls that you're doing, this is good, but you're hoping at some point you don't have to do these anymore because they are all based around COVID, aren't they? And they're based around giving out credible information and making sure that people have the right information. And oh boy, do we know that there are now, there's so much misinformation out there about <laughs> vaccines and about uh, all this stuff, right? That are, that's going on. And, um, and it's, it's, we really do need credible information about all of this stuff. We do. And David, thanks for making the time to, you know, share a little bit more about what the First Nation Health Managers Association is doing. And as you said it, this is not something we want to be doing now coming into the fourth season of providing credible, reliable information on COVID-19. But it is something that we're seeing a continued need for. And we're delighted to have Indigenous media partners and a number of partners all across Turtle Island to share and stop the misspreading of information, misinformation, mm. I should say. And we're just so grateful that Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa is sharing in our messages. So heartfelt appreciation for getting this accurate, reliable information out to those who need it in a timely manner. Yeah, you bet. Now, you mentioned this is the, the fourth season uh, of your your town halls. And why don't I give people a little bit more information about your organization and a little bit more about these town halls as we get into this. So, first of all, I want to tell people about the First Nations Health Managers Association. And you can go to their website to find out more by going to fnhma.ca, and that will bring you right to their homepage. And the organization provides leadership in First Nations health management activities by developing and promoting quality standards, practices, research, certification, networking, and professional development to expand capacity for our members and the First Nations communities. And the FNHMA recognizes that First Nations health managers are leaders who honor, maintain, and uphold inherent ways of knowledge while balancing management principles to bring excellence to their communities and health programs. And the FNHMA MA is there to provide support and also they explore uh, if you explore their site you'll find out more about that and its highest priority is the health and safety of employees members 
and communities. So that's a little bit about the First Nations Health Managers Association. Now, this particular thing we're talking about with Marion today is the the town halls that they provide weekly, and it started in their fourth season. That was it started on on April fourteenth, and it is a twelve week series. Is that correct, Marion? Yes, we've been doing seasons in a 12-week commitment, knowing that um, the evolution of science is constantly changing with respect to responding to COVID-19. And uh, we are now a 40 town halls in. I can't Mm. believe that we have provided 40 hours of information over the past year. And uh, we're delighted to do this. We hope we don't come back and we're going to take a break over the summer Mm. like we did last year. And we hope we don't have to come back in the fall. So join us in being great and getting vaccinated when you get an opportunity to do so. And a huge thank you to our partners over at Wabano and Anishinaabe Health in Toronto. Wabano's here in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. They have been so gracious in ensuring the safety of Indigenous peoples getting prioritized in the vaccine campaigns. So, Marion, we talked about making sure we give out credible information and trying to curb the misinformation that is out there. What are some of the things that you are hearing right now that might fall into that category of misinformation that people are getting these days? Well, David, believe it or not, and, uh, you know, here's the moment of truth, is people are still um, thinking this is a hoax and uh, that this isn't real and we're struggling with compliance around basic public health guidelines. So we're here to say it's, it's really quite concerning, especially in our Indigenous population. So mm. when I think about home, which is Pot First Nation in Saskatchewan, mm. I think about, you know, the the social determinants of health and how those play a part in what our health outcomes are for our cousins, our aunties, cookums, mushums, nokumis, whatever your language is, you know, we already face challenges with respect to safe, accessible, and equitable health services. And when you think about overcrowdedness, uh, tuberculosis, tuberculosis, Mm -hmm. and other factors that play into our wellness, we're kind of behind, you know, the mark. So it's so great to be prioritized and, you know, take it from me and look at the pictures on the news coming out of India where people are dying outside of hospitals, Mm. trying to access oxygen and ventilators. It's it's real. We've had a number of outbreaks in many nations across Turtle Island. Mm-hmm. We've seen exercise of a sovereignty being issued as well in terms of closing those borders. And we're seeing such um, a cry, just not like the overall population, you know, our mental health is deteriorating. And I think of our members who are trying to keep our nation safe and protected and how exhausted they are in this fight. And, you know, let's respect and honor all of our relatives and ourselves by washing our hands, wearing our face mask, and where possible, staying that distance. And I'm seeing now that we are 
approximately 635 uh, organizations, indigenous organizations who have gone through the first vaccine campaign. And now we're excited to get those second needles into people's arms. But let's all just be mindful that this has come at a cost to mental health. We're also hearing about some of the concerns around safety um, with domestic violence, um, misinformation spreading about different outcomes of the shots as well. Everything has a risk, and I'd much rather get that uncomfortable little needle in my arm than to be grasping to a ventilator in our overcrowded hospitals. And that's just a whole nother discussion. But these are the things that we'll talk about in our hour of coming together, where we bring in the public health experts. Dr. Um, Evan Adams joins us as the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for Indigenous Services Canada. So he shares what the epi stats look like, how we're progressing in the vaccination campaigns. And then we'll have on community leaders like Jocelyn Forsma at the National Association of Friendship Centers, who's been on the front lines advocating for urban populations to also get vaccinated. So that's just a little sample of some of the things that we unpack within the hour. Mm, great. Now, that that sounds wonderful. There's a number of things I'd love to talk about that you mentioned there. But first of all, I think we, we may have uh, uh, piqued people's interest that have not heard about this and, you know, maybe that want to tune in. Uh, how can they do that now? Because I think APTN's on board now, too. That's right. We have been so fortunate to have a number of partners come to the table and sharing information. This isn't something FNHMA typically does. We look at certifying health directors, giving them designations and professional development and teaching. But we have this niche opportunity just because of the network and who our members are to actually get in front of them and share information. So if you're interested in getting more information Information and finding that credible uh, sources. And we even have a little laughter, believe it or not, in there because laughter is medicine. Tune in Wednesdays at 1 p.m., that's Eastern Daylight Time, for Ottawa and Toronto listeners and everybody else who listens to Element FM on iHeartRadio and other <laughs> uh, broadcasting mechanisms. Tune in at 1 on Wednesdays, and that's when we go live stream. And APN, APTN said, this is great. Let us help support in getting this information out. So 5 o'clock Saturdays, you can watch on our new partners broadcast, APTN. Yeah, that's great. Um, that is great. Now, is that uh, that's a rebroadcast on Saturdays? Yes. So Saturdays, you're going to hear and see what you've already heard on Wednesday. But if you haven't had that chance to tune in to Element FM and get this information, then go on over to APTN and catch another hour of us. And you know what? If you have a question, here's the other exciting part. This is a two-way dialogue. You have a question for one of the experts or for one of the leaders. If we don't get it in on Wednesday and you think of it Saturday while you're watching APTN, 
go ahead and send an email. We'll get it on on the next show. Or if you have a suggestion for a nation that uh, has handled this uh, pandemic in a in a good way, we want to hear from them too. And people can send that question or comment to FNHMA at ihtoday.ca and we will do our best to get that question answered and on the air, whether it's radio or television. Right. Marion, is this nationwide? This is nationwide. We have partners all across Canada, Indigenous radio stations like Element FM, mm-hmm. who are playing us from Victoria all the way out to the Atlantic provinces and some northern stations as well. And of course, APTN carries us all over Turtle Island. Great. That's good to hear. That's what I was wondering about. You know, uh, and a couple of things come to mind there. One is it's wonderful to hear about that rebroadcast and the fact that people can still input questions, even though it's post the the uh, the live broadcast. But you'll try and fit that into the next round, which is wonderful that you'll be able to answer those, get those questions answered and give that opportunity to people to still participate in that way. Absolutely. And believe me, there is no dumb question. There is no comment off the table. We want to be real. We want to be factual and we want to make this relevant and easy to understand. So we're going to break down the dialogues about vaccinations. What is mRNA vaccine Mm -hmm. versus a one time dose versus, you know, how do we get that herd immunity? And we'll try to do it in layman terms as well. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I, I thought about is with that rebroadcast on, on uh, APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network, and people can find that on their basic cable uh, channels. Um, if, if someone, for instance, doesn't have great internet and they can't tune in to that, that uh, broadcast, you know, w- when you're live, um, then it's great to have that option for them just in case, you know, they aren't able to access it another way. Absolutely. So jump on over to your computers, send in a question, and uh, we'll do our best to get that answered by one of our experts. I know a lot of you are still having questions about the vaccine rollouts, and now we're hearing about some potential side effects that people have been having. So if you have a question... I mean, we have a First Nation doctor just about every week and to have access to somebody that looks like us, talks like us is always welcome to get that trusted Mm. source of information. So feel free. That's FNHMA at IHtoday.ca. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Marion, you just mentioned something about side effects. Is there anything in general you can share about what you're hearing about some of the potential side effects? Sure. I mean, we have our body reacts all the time and I am not, I'll preface this with, I am not a health professional. I leave that for the doctors and our nurses that come on the show. But what I hear consistently is we always get a little bit of a reaction to a medicine. And that's what this is, is a medication that we want to embrace. And, you know, people doing ceremonies over the vaccinations is always heartwarming to hear. But you might get a little bit of tenderness in your arm 
arm afterwards. Some vaccines have different uh, side effects than others. But I will say that 99% of us have a tiny bit of uncomfortableness in our arm and that's it. So we want to do our best in making sure that some of those sensationalized media reports around certain vaccines is going to be expected. But remember, it is a small percentage of folks who have a really severe adverse reaction. For the most part, it's just like getting your flu shot or any other immunization. And uh, Dr. Adams and I have joked about it being a little prick. And let's not be one. Let's (laughs) get one. (laughs) So there's our our good Indian humor in that conversation as well. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I was going to say that exactly what you just said. It's much like getting the the yearly flu shot. So so. Uh, that's what I've been hearing people say. So, you know, associate it much like that, except there are other protocols around going to get it, right? You have to um, you have to go to your scheduled time. Uh, you have to wait 15 minutes afterwards to make, much like getting the flu shot, I guess. People still have to require you to, to stay after you get the shot um, and, and make sure that you're not having an immediate reaction to it. And that's quite normal. And you know what's been coming out too, and here's what I mean by, you know, science evolving and information uh, evolving. A good friend of mine, Dr. Shannon McDonald at the First Nation Health Authority was vaccinated. A couple weeks later, she contracted COVID. And you wonder, how does that happen? Hmm. Well, we're seeing breakthrough infections. And while they're rare, uh, she did contract it. So it's so important, I've learned in all of these discussions, that we still maintain that diligence about public health safety until the rest of the populations catch up with getting vaccinated. And if we can kind of get that herd immunity that we hear about, What that means is let's just get everybody that first dose because she didn't get very sick Mm. because she had that COVID Mm. vaccination uh, injection. It was a lessened effect Mm. on her body uh, when she did contract COVID. So it's still important to follow those public health guidelines I'm learning. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa and also on the iHeartRadio app. If you download the app and type in our coordinates, 106.5 for Toronto, 95.7 for Ottawa, you can take us with you anywhere you go. My guest here on the show is Marion Crow. She is the Chief Executive Officer for the First Nations Health Managers Association. And we are talking to her about the fourth season that is now underway of their town halls that they hold on Wednesdays. It's uh, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time that if you go online uh, to the, the website at www, of course, don't even need to say that anymore, ihtoday.ca slash townhall, and you can listen in and get some great advice. And uh, then if you happen to miss it or you want to hear it again, uh, I'm guessing it stays on the on the website. Is that right, Marion, for people to go back and listen to? Absolutely. And we have all 40 editions mm. of our town halls on there. So it's kind of 
fun to catch up in this time where we're social distancing, get some information that's credible and reliable and see the evolution of what we're learning over the past year as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you happen to miss that, then of course you can go to the Aboriginal People's Television Network, APTN Network, on Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen uh, and watch it there for it's a one hour episode each week. And uh, like I said, it's it's there for you to take advantage of. And you can also, as Marion pointed out, it's a two way street. So you can you can actually uh, take part by uh, putting in a question either during the live uh, live presentation or before or even afterwards, if it's after the episode, you're watching it on APTN, it's already been aired, and you're going, ah, gee, I've got this great question. Well, guess what? If you go to their website and input, Marion, where do they go to input that question, by the way? For that question, mm-hmm. you can email it to fnhma at ihtoday.ca. Fabulous. And then that question will come up in the next episode. So if you watch the next episode or if you can't watch it, and you're, you can again go back to Saturday at 5 on APTN and you can watch it there. Now, the reason I'm asking if this was nationwide, Marion, I noticed that the Bree broadcasts that APTN is doing are uh, time sensitive. So it's 5 o'clock, but it's 5 o'clock. Eastern, 5 o'clock Central, 5 o'clock Mountain, and 5 o'clock Pacific, uh, right across the country. That's correct. Check your local listing, but we've tried to be consistent and put it just before the APTN news Saturdays Mm. at 6. So 5 o'clock, no matter where you are across Turtle Island, you can tune in on APTN and check us out. Right. And um, also, if people want the website, it's fnhma at ihtoday.ca. But you go there uh, to check that out. Now, Marion, there was a couple of things, a, a number of things, I think, actually, that you said earlier in our conversation. Uh, and, and around misinformation, we talked about that a little bit. And when you brought up that, uh, I thought about the other things that, that specifically for First Nation people that could be coming up, and, and I'm wondering if, if this is a, a possible concern that might be out there. Because of the history of Indigenous people in this country with, with, with the government, with the, you know, the, the residential school, that whole mistrust thing that has gone on for so long that people are still, let's face it, there are still people healing from this. So that intergenerational trauma Do you think that is affecting the trust element around getting a a shot at at, at all? Absolutely, David. And I couldn't have said it better. That whole, the legacy of our history in Canada um, at best has been failing when it comes to Indigenous matters, especially uh, with concerns over health outcomes and that intergenerational trauma of experiments that have been done on Indigenous peoples, specifically First Nation. And that's not forgotten. It's not looked past. And I know, for example, if my Cookham were alive right now, I don't think she would be one Mm. to be wanting to get a vaccine where the government is pushing and actually prioritizing us. But I think we're in a different time now where we have to have the reciprocal trust in terms to get to a point of reconciliation, which is a whole different dialogue. But 
it's so wonderful. And how I look at this is this is one area where I say, wow, Health Canada, Public Health Agency, Indigenous Services Canada, they got it right after mm. all of the lessons we've had throughout mm. history. H1N1 was another, um, you know, crisis that we faced in terms of an illness being born. And I think we are now at that point where it's, wow, we are finally at the front of the line and people are saying, but why? Yeah. But I am happy to be there shoulder to shoulder with all of the frontline workers across Canada in being the first to get vaccinated. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up. But going back to that trust, I guess it's very difficult for for people, some people to say, you know, trust this. Right. Just yeah. just, just and, and David, that is part of the new the reason why we do these discussions on the FNHMA mm-hmm. town hall is to unpack in a right. half hour or 20 minutes. What does trust look like and why are we talking about vaccine confidence mm. or vaccine hesitancy mm-hmm. and understanding that? We need to make an informed decision. And so it's a decision that's personal. We just want to make sure that you have access to everything that you need to, to make that decision for yourself. Right. Now, Marion, the other thing that you brought up is mental health. And that, of course, has been a big one right around the globe. We're hearing more and more about the struggles of mental health. Specifically, you know, uh, everyone is dealing with it. Everyone is struggling with it. Families, uh, kids, youth, uh, kids are struggling with it in school because just of the way that that school has been rolled out back and forth between online and then going to class and all the changes that have been going on. And, And I understand and I hear that nobody is really doing exceptionally well right now. We're all just doing the best we can. Every day, that decision just to lift your head and take on the day is a a reason for celebration in my house. I don't know about everybody else, but it's trying to say the least. And when I think about our membership, our health directors, our health managers, the nurses working in our nations, I can't imagine that it is an easy decision every day to get up and face the same groundhog day over and Mm. over. And we just want to thank and support everyone who is, you know, doing the best with what they can under, you know, lack of resources, underfunding, all of the things we already know. But what I've heard in balance to this trying time and period of our life is I'm hearing a resurgence, though, of people getting back to our traditional and inherent Mm. knowledge and ways of practicing. So even in the medicine, people are now having cedar tea. They're hanging cedar in their homes. They're, They're incorporating our knowledge, our Indigenous knowledge, with Western ways of fighting this virus as well. And I am so delighted to see on Facebook and all across, you know, Facebook isn't something I typically go for information for. And I, you know, caution you, but when you look at their market page, my goodness, 
thank you to all of our beaters who are (laughs) doing regalia, making earrings, moccasins. It's so beautiful that in all of this, we are still resilient. And if there's a message of hope there, I hope you take that away is this resurgence of resiliency. Mm. You know, I thought about the masks, the beaded masks I've seen as well. Aren't they stunning? And Mm. I have to say, I am so delighted to support Indigenous businesses, not just now, always, but especially now we can get funny t-shirts we can you know get those beautiful lanyards earrings and uh, I, I think I have five pairs of moccasins now because I'm not out <laughs> shopping in the mall I'm going online and I'm finding our indigenous businesses and purchasing from them right Marion Crow is the chief executive officer at the First Nations Health Managers Association and it has been a pleasure to have her back on the show to talk about their ongoing uh, town halls and we do hope at some point that they won't be on anymore simply because this is all about COVID and although it's great to get the information out there and I certainly enjoy speaking with Marion uh, maybe we can talk about something else in the future but right now it's focused on COVID and that's what these sessions are all about. Marion I just want to say Chimi and thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, David, and thank you to Element FM and being a partner in sharing this information. Hi, hi. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You as well. Thanks, David. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That's this part of the program. Please don't go away. We're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And of course, uh, if you download the iHeartRadio app, punch in our coordinates, you can take us with you anywhere you go. I'd also like to welcome listeners on other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth. Always a pleasure to have people joining us on other stations as well as on your favorite podcast, if you're listening from there, or on our SoundCloud. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show Dr. Shailene Jobin. She is the Canada Research Chair in Indigenous Governance, the co-lead of Wakantawin Law and Governance Lodge, and the Associate Professor at the Faculty of Native Studies at the University of Alberta. We are also joined by Tanya Kapo. She's the daughter of the late Harold Cardinal and one of the executive producers of the film, which we're going to be talking about today, which is Beating Red, the red paper through generations. And it's a 15-minute documentary film that was created to commemorate the 50-year anniversary of the red paper presentation. And uh, putting a new light on this uh, time period, the film highlights the important roles of Indigenous women and talks about the importance of familiar relationships through Wakantawin, or relationships embedded in Indigenous beadwork. And I had a pleasure, I had the pleasure of watching this 15-minute video, and I recommend anyone go to see this because it is a fascinating look at 50 years ago, what was happening with, in 1970 when the Indigenous Chiefs of Alberta and the leadership from the Indian Association of Alberta's President, Harold Cardinal, presented Citizens Plus to the Right Honourable Pierre Elliott Trudeau, if that name sounds familiar to you, his son, of course, now being Prime Minister, and uh, 
And the, the government of Canada, Citizens Plus, also known as the Red Paper, delivered a powerful rejection of and counterproposal to Canada's Department of Indian Affairs, the 1969 Statement of the Government of Canada on Indian Policy, a white paper which would have fundamentally changed the relationship between Canada and First Nations people. So it's a pleasure to have Dr. Shailene Jobin and Tanya Tapo with us here on the show. Ladies, welcome. So thank you both for for joining us on the show. And, uh, you know, this this video, it it really is wonderful. And I love the way that it ties in the importance of beading. How did you guys come up with this idea? Well, um, yeah, so uh, this is Shailene. Uh, Tanya approached uh, me in December of 2019. We were at a Wakotuan Law and Governance Lodge event, and she uh, said that um, the uh, the 50th anniversary of the presentation was happening on June 4th, 2020. And so she said it would be great to work in partnership um, to develop an event or something to commemorate uh, uh, the historic event of the 50th anniversary. And then, uh, so we started meeting and then COVID hit. Mm. And uh, so we couldn't meet in person uh, last June. And um, so we thought perhaps uh, we could do uh, a, a video. All right. Tanya, what did you think of that idea? I thought it was great. Um, I was really kind of disappointed that we couldn't uh, do more things because of COVID. So I was extremely happy that we could still continue on with at least the video. And um, I think the video ended up being a very wonderful project because it's sort of a legacy piece. You know, it's something that exists. It's not just like an event that happens and then everyone goes away. This is something that people can continue um, to look at and, and generations can watch from here on in. Yes, absolutely. And and people can go to watch this online. For instance, if people punch in Beating Red, is it, will it come up and send them a link? Yes, it should. If they, uh, on YouTube, if they Google Beating Red, it should come up. And as I said, it's 15 minutes, so it doesn't take a long time, but it sure is full of great information around. It's wonderful just how it ties in the beating and, and gives us this great history at the same time. Yeah, beating was uh, a very important part of not just, I guess, our identity on my family side, both my grandmothers. You'll see in the film that my sister Tara, um, in our family, she's the one who's sort of taken on uh, that art um, to a very beautiful level. So she has a lot of connections to make with her beadwork um, to the past and even in, in terms of the red paper and even in her current life. But I think that um, for the film, the importance of the beadwork was really also to emphasize um, the women's involvement, you know, mm. women were, were quite involved in, in the red paper and, and the sort of politics of the day. And much of the financing that took place to sort of enable the leadership to do what they did was through the selling of arts and crafts. And so that's another important element of the beadwork to the story of the red paper. 
when you came up with this idea about making the video and with COVID hitting, was the idea to always tie in beading work to the red paper? Was that something you guys had as an idea from the get-go? Not specifically, no, but we we had early on um, conversations uh, talking about, you know, what what it could look like, Mm. what we would like to see in the film. And it just sort of emerged immediately as something that needed to be part of um, the whole story that the video would present. That must have been pretty exciting, I would guess, because it's it is something that is physically seen on the garments that are being worn in in the film. Yeah, I think also one of the other parts was um, at at the time when my dad was sort of when he was leading the IAA, Mm. part of one of his sort of calling cards, I guess, was the fact that he would always come dressed either in a buckskin coat or, or a beaded tie. So that was always very much part of that element as well. Yeah. Now, Shailene, when when this idea about tying in the beading and the red paper uh, with the 50th anniversary, um, what was that like for you as, a, as an idea to expand and work from? Yeah, I um, it was it was a great idea. And I think one of the things we talked on about initially was how generally when we uh, talk about this time, there's Um, A, that a lot of people in uh, the younger generation of Indigenous people don't necessarily uh, know this story. And so uh, for our generation and and future generations, the importance of passing down these important moments in time for Indigenous organizing. But also um, that uh, one of the things Tanya has has said is that oftentimes we need to expand the stories as well. And so thinking about Indigenous women at that time and First Nations women and and their uh, organizing and their um, supportive roles at that time was was something that we don't hear enough about. So it was neat to tie that in. Yeah, and and it's also neat because it's not just the beating itself. It's the fact that we get the backstory, of course, behind the importance of beating. So there's, there's this connection built right into that. Yeah, for sure. And the other interesting piece is uh, Jerome Slavic was interviewed during the film and worked for the Indian Association. And and he had gifted uh, serendipitously uh, last year or two years ago, one of Agnes uh, Cardinal's beaded jackets to the Faculty of Native Studies where I work. And, and so he had bought that jacket uh, from Agnes and Agnes would sometimes sell some of her beadwork to finance um, some of the work of, of Harold Cardinal. So for the travel costs and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and so that's an interesting part of the, the story that we don't hear enough about. Mm. Tanya, you, your dad, Harold Cardinal, played a very important role, of course. What, what do you remember of him? Um, well, I think one of the important things I think that was also very much in our minds when we were talking about um, what the film could look like is um, his insistence that the red paper and, and the work around that wasn't just his. It, it wasn't 
only him, you know, he's very much attributed to the red paper and, and rightly so, but he wasn't the only one. And he was always um, the first one to acknowledge that and try to really put it out there that the red paper was a collective effort. You know, it was the Indian Association of Alberta. It involved elders throughout Alberta and leadership throughout Alberta. It wasn't just Harold Cardinal thing. It was an Indian Association of Alberta. Alberta thing. And that was kind of um, something that we talked about in, in thinking about the content of the film and hoping that one of the things we're hoping that it does, I guess, is to sort of open the door to talking about the bigger story that, that people start to think about um, the red paper and the context of their own lives and maybe in their own families you know it's not only a part of my family history it's a part of many people's family history and hopefully that people will start to think about that and more of the story will be spoken and talked about and shared and, and really grow that sort of narrative and important part in our history and I think that's something that always comes to my mind about my dad is that he wanted to make sure that people knew that it was a collective effort. Mm. And, and the name, as you pointed out, The Red Paper, uh, I, I found out because at the end of the film, I saw a very familiar name to us here at, at Element FM, uh, Krista Couture, uh, being credited with a photo credit. So I said to her, I said, hey, Krista, you, you're credited with a, a photo. And she said, oh, yeah, um, because my dad is credited with the, the coming up with the name, uh, The Red Paper. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, Louis uh, Cardinal, my cousin, he talks about that in the film about uh, his recollection from her father, Joe, on, on how the red paper name came to be. And um, I always used to think it was sort of, you know, my, my dad's sort of cheekiness, his cleverness was to to take something and just sort of give it uh, an ironic spin, mm. such as the, the Just Society at the time, which was Pierre Trudeau's um, campaigning, and then ultimately his book became The Unjust Society, right. you right. know? So that's always that, that cleverness behind our leaders at the time and, and what they were thinking and, and how they were approaching things. Yeah, it's very simple, but it's also very effective. Totally. The word Wakantuin, um, I understand, means relations or relationship. Well, I think, uh, well, it's a Cree word and it's Wakotuin. And it doesn't mean just one thing. It, it's a really um, a concept that means many things. And with any indigenous language, it's, it's, it's often hard to translate the meaning of these important words into sort of one meaning. But I guess to generally explain the concept of it, I think relationships is, is an, an okay generalization. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also be listening on the iHeartRadio app if you download the app and uh, punch in our coordinates. You can take us with you anywhere you go. You might also be listening on one of the other radio stations carrying a moment of truth. We thank you for listening. My guests here on the show are Dr. Shailene Jopin. She is the Canada Research Chair in Indigenous Governance and the Associate Professor in the Faculty of Native Studies at the University of Alberta. As well, we have with us Tanya Capo. She's the daughter of the late Harold Cardinal and one of the executive producers of the film, which we're talking about, entitled Beating Red, the Red Paper, 
over through generations. It's a 15-minute documentary film created to commemorate the 50-year anniversary of the Red Paper presentation. And you can see this online. And if you go to YouTube and Google Beating Red, that should come up for you to watch this 15-minute video. And it is very entertaining as well as educational and you might also be encouraged to then find out more about the red paper and you can go find out and read the red paper uh, if you google red paper and you will get a link to that as well and citizens plus is the other word that comes up out of this uh, this red paper in 1970 with the Indian chiefs of Alberta uh, the leadership under uh, President Harold Cardinal in answer to the white paper that was being presented Now, I also understand that it was because of the red paper and the answer to the white paper that went on to make changes in future documents with with the Canadian government. Um, So one of the things that I think is really interesting is is um, there's also a history with uh, the idea of Citizens Plus. And so there was this Hawthorne report that was written Mm -hmm. and there's a a political scientist. uh, uh, His name was Alan Cairns and he was part of that and he's written different books. And and he also talks about this idea of Citizens Plus. But but how um, the Indian Association of Alberta, how they framed Citizens Plus in the red paper was was through the lens of treaty so so uh the plus of citizens plus wasn't an individual citizenship to belonging to canada it was a collective citizenship through um the number of treaties that were negotiated between the british crown that became uh the canadian state and um for example, Treaty 8, um, Cree, Dene people. Would, would one of you like to elaborate more on on this whole thing around the white paper and red paper? I think the white paper was really trying to push for the removal of what um, they were sort of terming as, quote, special rights that um, Indians, as, as they were known at mm. the time, had. And, and those would be what uh, they were trying to term as, um, they were actually treaty rights and they're not special rights. Mm. And so the white paper was trying to propose this idea of equality that um, everybody should be treated equal and and this was part of um, the narrative at the time I guess of the just society and Trudeau this notion of equality but this was not um, something that would be acceptable for First Nations because Canada's proposal for equality was to remove um, the treaty rights that um, First Nations people had so I think uh, the leadership of the day saw that um, that treaty was under attack basically mm. in this white paper and, and needed to respond to that and, and talk about why um, it was necessary to continue to have the treaty and why the treaty was so important. And so that was what the red paper response was. It was a very meticulous response to the white paper and responded to each of the proposals that the white paper was suggesting at the time. Do you think that the government was taken by surprise with the red paper response? I want to say yes. Um, And I I say that because I feel like the federal government at any point in time always underestimates um, 
indigenous people. And I feel like any time that there's any kind of um, resistance or, or, or counter-presentation, they, they feel like they maybe weren't expecting it because they aren't known to think too highly of indigenous people, um, in my opinion. Hmm. And, and really, at, at certain times in the Indian Act, it was illegal to hire a lawyer yeah. for a First Nations person. It was illegal to, to organize. And so and so it, in, in 1970, it wasn't that many years previous where where that sort of organizing or, you know, legal response uh, wasn't even allowed because of the Indian Act. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, you also, uh, Shailene, mentioned the Hawthorne Report. I think uh, the leaders were strategic in using some of that language. Yeah, and I think that it's also important to note that the, the Hawthorne Report was a study that was commissioned by the federal government um, prior to the white paper. So the federal government wanted to sort of do a study of, of the Indians at the time, a social economic kind of study and the author of the report was Harry Hawthorne and that's why it's called the Hawthorne report and at the end of his report he concluded that um, First Nations people needed to be regarded as citizens plus and so that was sort of that play again the cleverness of our leadership to call the red paper its, its official name is called citizens plus and that comes from the Hawthorne report. Shailene any any other uh, comments on that? Well, well, it just, I, I really love uh, Tanya saying that that strategic and that kind of um, tongue-in-cheekness of, you know, calling it, uh, calling it Citizens Plus, mm. almost, you know, shaming the federal government at the time for how, how dare you put out this, this white paper mm. that, that goes against this report you just commissioned. Like, how <laughs> ridiculous is this? So, yeah, just the strategy and the cleverness of you know, First Nations and Indigenous people in in dealing with um, with the frustration that must have been there. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I just I just love I love that piece of it too. The yeah, the tongue in cheekness of it. And it's wonderful going back to the idea of this uh, this video, a beating red, because it it ties in all of these things we're talking about and brings it down to a very a simple level and and a level that is that is nice to watch to get the sense of the beating work that is important bringing in that idea as you point out about the importance of the role of women and what they were doing throughout this as well and uh, and bringing it right down to the role of 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 the presentation of wearing these jackets of wearing uh, these beaded jackets um, and and what that meant to the time of this this important work going on. Tanya? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really, I can't watch the film without feeling all kinds of emotions. Hmm. Shailene? Yeah, um, uh, Tara Capo, we had a a panel presentation on Friday afternoon and and, and Tara Capo at the end talked about it as a love story. And I I just, I just, um, that's such beautiful words when we when um we think of agnes cardinal 
her love for her family and for her her people, you know, goes into that beadwork. And it also shows, um, as, as Lewis talks about in the film, it speaks to treaty and it speaks to family. And it also speaks to, I think, a layered understanding of what treaty uh, means from, from a Cree perspective. Mm. Uh, Tanya, w- what do you hope that, that this Beating Red film will, will do? I hope that it will start conversations about um, our history at the time. I, I find for myself personally, you know, um, there are still many people alive uh, these days who were there in the late 60s who can share firsthand um stories of of Mm. what they saw and what they heard and what they felt and, you know, all these kinds of things and and other family members who have gone on but have passed down their stories um, of that time. So what I'm hoping is that um, a bigger narrative evolves from this. And for myself personally, I would love to see a more fulsome telling of our story of the red paper from a more collective approach. So these conversations um, that I hope that will follow this will begin to fill in those blanks and sort of satiate my, my starvation to hear about, you know, that moment in time that was very impactful for all Indigenous people um, right up until today. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out, because although this is the Indian Association of Alberta that we're talking about that that took this initiative, it did have impact right across the country for Indigenous people. Yeah, and I'm really, I'm really wanting to hear the stories of that right from across the country. Mm, That would be great to to get a response like that. Uh, Dr. Shaleen, do you guys have any other plans for moving this film forward or, or getting it out there somewhere? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the things uh, we did is we did a, a recommended um, resource list and reading list. Mm-hmm. And so with different uh, PDF files and audio files um, that that uh, people who are interested can learn more. Um, so that's something that we've produced. Um, another thing that we're thinking of is is kind of a, a phase two uh, process. So mm-hmm. maybe there's a teaching guide that we developed to go along with this video to, to help people that maybe want to teach it in, in schools or universities um, that, that have some of those resources. And then um, as Ken is talking, uh, t- <laughs> uh, she's, she's planting these seeds in my brain for maybe a, a phase two of, of, of how we could facilitate some of those larger conversations. Speaking of la- larger conversations, just the idea of bringing it down to that very simple level of beading and the importance of what beadwork can do. And, and you know, I, I can't help but think about that very important hands-on effect that beading can have that people may be stimulated to find out and, and create more interest. I know that you guys, when you had the, the live event, you gave away some beading kits. And I'm wondering about if that's going to stimulate more interest in, in the, the actual beading work. I think so. I, I find that over the last few years, for sure, maybe a little bit longer, there has been 
such a resurgence of, of beadwork mm. um, that, uh, you know, across the country, so many people are, are taking it up and the, the pieces that are being produced are, are absolutely stunning. Mm. And, and you're starting to see, you can really start to tell now from the different beading styles of, of mm. where the person is from, because each area seems to have a particular style of beadwork, whether it's a design or the actual style of beading. It's really, you know, something that is growing more and more. And even if you just go on Instagram, you can see all kinds of wonderfully beaded items. Um, it's just amazing. So I, I really feel like um, the, the bringing out of the beadwork piece here will connect with many who are starting to reclaim their traditional um, art of beadwork in their own style. Nicely and, said. Yep. Sorry, Shailene, go ahead. Yeah, and the other, the other piece of that is, is I think when we, when we think of, uh, the 1969 uh, white paper and then the 1970 red paper, there's there's this um, uh, Canada doesn't seem to um, understand a First Nations perspective of treaty or and, and so we can see through the beadwork it's it's one eye into an indigenous worldview and those teachings that come out in that material culture of, of what's beaded and how it's done and the ethic of that, that, that also teaches us a, a deeper layer of understanding of, of treaty from that perspective. And so, and so you can just see also, um, uh, yeah, how, how complex these systems of knowledge are that, that, um, that it's so important to understand. Hmm. Style, story, and history all wrapped up in there in the beadwork. Yeah, it goes back to sort of the idea of a legacy piece, you hmm. know, a, a generational a generational object for some a family heirloom, you know, all kinds of important things that a piece of beadwork carries with it through the generations. And how those prayers that went into it at that time, when the person gets to wear that beadwork, those prayers are still with um, that work and with that person. Nicely said. We'll have to leave it there. Dr. Shailene Jobin and uh, Tanya Capo, thank you so much for joining us on the show and, and talking about Beating Red and, uh, and taking the time to join us to do so. Thank you for inviting us. You bet. Thank you. Take care. That is our show for today. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you back with us again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.